you get to trade a disgruntled player for a disgruntled player. I think that the Philadelphia 76ers made an incredible move. I think this move puts them head and shoulders above everybody else in the East. I see Brooklyn as the clear winner in this deal. There's a lot of buzz that Nets have won this trade and this and that. It's a cool lineup, but like one guy can't play home games yet. One guy hasn't played in how many months? Shea Cornette and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're brought to you by CSX. Earn great pay and benefits at CSX. CSX.com slash careers. And Shay, one of the conversations we've been having all show long is what player is under more pressure? Is it James Harden or Ben Simmons? Where where does the pressure lie in terms of who's going to be under more scrutiny in that new situation with their new team? And we want to open that up to the callers on the Candy Call-In line. Tap in at 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And it's really interesting, Shay, because on the day after the Brooklyn Nets snapped their 11-game losing streak, that is not the biggest story surrounding the organization. The big story is Ben Simmons actually speaking today alongside Sean Marks and Steve Nash about the trade, the circumstances that led to his exit in Philly, and then what we can look forward to with him in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. And the thing that I thought was interesting is how the mental health aspect of this was addressed and people asking the question about what role that played in him leaving Philadelphia. And Ben Simmons at the press conference said, and I quote, for me, it was just making sure I was mentally right to get out there and play again. So that's something I've been dealing with, and it wasn't about Philadelphia fans or coaches or comments made by anybody. It was just a personal thing for me. That was earlier than the series against the Atlanta Hawks or even that season that I was dealing with, and the Sixers knew it. So it's something that I continue to deal with, and I'm getting there and getting to the right place to get back on the floor. And that brings up the question of how do organizations moving forward deal with situations similar to this when a player that's dealing with a mental health issue all of a sudden no longer wants to be with that club, no longer wants to play for that team. I thought you brought something up earlier, Canty, that was important in terms of how the NFL handles things. And just the fact, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just the fact that it's very readily available for you to get help in terms of mental health uh, awareness or needing help or needing to talk to someone or whatever it is. And I would assume it's the same for the NBA or any professional league like that would make the most sense in fact in like larger corporations as well it's easy to have outlets to talk to or or they can help aid in terms of giving you someone to speak to if you are having those issues um I I do think though when it comes to Ben Simmons and the 76ers in terms of him as you just pointed out perhaps letting the organization know prior to that series um then maybe the onus falls a little bit more on the 76ers in terms of how they handled that so it didn't get to the point that it got to I I don't know. What I know is I am not Ben Simmons. I don't know what's going on in Ben Simmons' mind and how he feels. I am not in his camp. I am not his friend or his family member. So I don't want to pretend to know what happened with him and how he felt and the way he dealt with it, whether that was right or wrong. I just want to make that very clear. What I said earlier to you and I stand by is the fact that there are holes in this story in terms of the way everything adds up. Now, there can be. I'm not saying that it has to follow a specific blueprint, but in terms of him, you know, resisting the 76ers' help to help him along in this mental health journey, that 
kind of raises a red flag. Now, maybe he did inform the 76ers before, you know, the Hawks series, and they didn't want to help him then. And then he's like, well, why do you want to help me now? Like, hey, that could be another narrative that we're not thinking about, you know? And Ben Simmons, I feel like he gets – he gets a lot, a lot of flack for what happened in that final series. But I, I do want to say, I want to say this: he had at least eight rebounds or multiple steals in five of the seven games there in that final series. He also, in that final game, he was plus one with him on the court in 36 minutes, and they were minus eight with him not on the court. He made a good impact in that game, despite dealing with what he's telling us he was dealing with at the time. And so I just think that we should all take a step back and realize we are not in Ben Simmons' shoes, never have been, never will be, and this is a very good basketball player underneath all this. Yeah, I remember him locking up Trey Young in the fourth quarter of one of those games in that Hawks series, and he just kept back-tapping him and stealing the ball, and that was – that was one of the things that we just hadn't seen up until that point in the playoffs. Trey Young struggling to be able to get his shot or create off the bounce for his teammates, and Ben Simmons made that happen. And I think yeah. that speaks to the caliber of defender that he is. He's a guy that can play one through five, and that's that kind of versatility is invaluable in today's NBA. So I think people do lose sight of how good of a basketball player Ben Simmons actually is. There's a reason why this guy was an all-NBA selection a few years back. The guy is really talented, but it does come along with some bags, and I'm not necessarily sold that his game was the best fit for what direction the Philadelphia 76ers had to go. But that being said, Shay, I do believe that the players do have an obligation to the organization to disclose medical information because if this is something that's going to keep you away from the game of basketball, if this is going to keep you from doing what they're paying you to do, then you have to communicate. That's my biggest thing in any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, a family member, or with your employer, communication is key. And I feel like the communication broke down on several levels when it comes to Ben Simmons and him addressing his mental health. Here's what Ben Simmons had to say about what fans should be more aware of when it comes to the mental health of athletes. For sure. I don't think people really understand the – I don't even look at it as pressure. There's just so many things going on within, you know, basketball and life as people – but it is what it is also. I understand the business side. I understand all that. Um, but that's that's something that, you know, people should be acknowledged and, and addressed if they do feel like they need some help in areas. Um, and it's okay to do that. Shea Cornett and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio. And Shay, I, I, I agree with what Ben Simmons said just now. I think professional athletes, people in general, need to be comfortable expressing that they need help with dealing yeah. with mental health Issues, And I know with the culture surrounding professional sports, the machismo that's attached to it, a lot of guys don't want to be vulnerable in that way. And so I'm glad that more professional athletes are starting to speak up about it because these are injuries. These are legitimate injuries, just like a broken leg, just like a torn ACL that have to be addressed. They have to be fixed. They require medical attention. Where I think it gets dicey is when you have the dynamic with Ben Simmons and the Sixers essentially being at odds and in this adversarial position, and then the player essentially brings up the fact that they were dealing with a mental health issue once we got to the point where the relationship between the player and the club feels like it's irreconcilable. And that's the part that doesn't necessarily feel right. I feel like there were several steps between where we ended the season last year and where we started the season this year where some things could have gotten hashed out that absolutely didn't. And so – Maybe there's some onus on both sides, some 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 blame on both sides for not not getting that handled. But the fact that the mental health aspect of it came out 
in the stage in the stage that it did when it came to the relationship with Simmons and the Sixers is the thing that made me raise a little bit of an eyebrow. Well, yeah, and then obviously now him going to a new organization and him – and again, he's not playing tonight or tomorrow night. Like, he's going to take some time to get right. But the fact that he feel, says that he feels pretty much ready to go, obviously, makes, of course, Sixers fans and people that are invested in this story feel some kind of way. You weren't ready to go all season long, but now here you are ready to suit up for the Brooklyn Nets just because it's a different team with different ownership and different coaches. It, 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 it makes people feel a certain kind of way. But I keep going back to the same thing. Like – Okay, it is what it is. At least we're not going to see him sit on the bench anymore. You're not him. Whatever. Like, let's see what he can do now, and let's see if he can return to that same guy who last season, by the way, was fifth in steals in the entire NBA, who can have a defensive presence that, by the way, the Nets desperately need because Mm. in the last month they have fallen off even worse than they were throughout the start of the beginning of the season in terms of defensive numbers. And so can he get back to that player? Like dwelling on what could have been with the 76ers and what went down. And to me, it doesn't make sense because we're not in his head. We don't feel what he feels. We will never know exactly the trajectory of who said what and and the way it all should have been. And so now I hope that we can just look forward and hopefully Ben Simmons can return to that Ben Simmons of old. Because and I think uh, Bontem said this earlier to us, and he was right. Like buried underneath all this is a very good player, a former number one overall pick. Like we forget what we can see in Ben Simmons if he gets back to who he once was. Like it's been it, – we have this lasting image of him dishing out the ball instead of actually taking an open shot. And like that's all we see and then all this drama that came with this. We forget who this player actually used to be and how he can benefit a team. No, you're right. I, I think that's something that gets lost in the shuffle with all of it. And so for Ben Simmons specifically, I'm excited about him getting back on the court so people can be reminded of what kind of talent he is. But moving forward, the NBA and professional sports teams in general have an issue that they're going to have to address when it comes to addressing mental health yes. and a player's availability. That's going to be interesting. That's a conversation that's going to have to be ongoing. But coming up next... Does the Super Bowl win for Matt Stafford guarantee that he'll have a bust in Canton at the end of his career? Shay and I will tell you on the other side of this break. This is ESPN Radio. Back after this. Shay Cornett and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on the Twitter, at ChrisCanny99, at Shay Pepler. And, Shay, before we get to Matt Stafford's Hall of Fame candidacy, we got to go out to the call-in line and we're going to go to John in Ohio. John, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? All I was saying was um, people need to understand there's a nature versus nurture when it comes to mental health. And you need to have an understanding of there are sometimes it's brain chemistry. There are sometimes it's what you went through in your life. And to just start saying, I've got mental health problems. I've got mental health problems. It diminishes what some people have to live with. And I don't think that's really fair uh, because you really cannot separate the two. In my case, uh, I had a chronic failure of what, what used to be called cortisol serum tests. Plus, my father was a, you know, committed suicide when I was seven. So that's an incredibly complex situation. So running out, mental health, mental health, and then all of a sudden I get traded or I sit out a tournament, now I'm fine. It just doesn't work like that, man. 
Well, yeah. John, and I, and I, John, I respect your perspective on this thing, but we all have to understand that people process things differently when it comes to their mental health. And I don't think any of us are in position to dismiss Ben Simmons' mental health claims and what he was dealing with at the end of his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers. While on its face, it might not look right. The optics might be bad. I don't think anybody's in position to say, well, he wasn't dealing with the mental health issue. And, Shay, I brought this point up earlier that the work situation that Ben Simmons was in, the environment, could have exacerbated whatever mental health issue that he might have been dealing with. And now that that has alleviated by him getting traded to the Brooklyn Nets, then there could be could be round in the corner when it comes to some other some other development, some other progress that he's made on that mental health front. So I, I hear where John in Ohio is coming from, and I'm sure there are a lot of people that feel that way, but I, I'm just also not going to be in a hurry to dismiss somebody when they make the claim that they're dealing with something mentally. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's – and, yeah, I agree. You know, everyone's got a different perspective on this, be that from their own life experiences or just their straight-up opinions. But – Again, we aren't him. We don't know what he was going through. And so I don't think it's fair to speculate beyond what we know and what the facts are. And if we feel like there might be holes in the stories or we don't quite agree, that's okay. But, again, this is his journey, and we have to respect that. Yeah, but something we can speculate on, Shay, is Matt Stafford and whether or not he belongs in the Hall of Fame because that conversation has started up as soon as he put the ring on, the Super Bowl trophy, hold it up at, at, at SoFi Stadium. Everybody's talking about Matt Stafford being a Hall of Famer after being able to add this to his resume. And I get it. He's got all the come-from-behind wins. I want to say it's 45 game-winning drives, including the playoffs, which is all well and good. But does this Super Bowl win, in your mind, put Matthew Stafford in can? Should he be wearing a gold jacket? Should he walk away from the game today? No. I, I, you and I talked about this last week, Canty, and, my, and I, this was prior to the Super Bowl being played. I said, I don't care what the result is on Sunday night. Come Monday morning, I will still not feel like Matt Stafford is a Hall of Famer because of that game. He's got a long road in front of him. And something tells me that he might build a bigger resume that ultimately will tell us that he's going to the Hall of Fame. But all this send him now doesn't make sense to me. Richard Sherman, I thought, made an excellent point. And while it might have sounded a little salty, I think he made an excellent <laughs> point in terms of what his resume is right now. No All-Pro. No MVP, one Pro Bowl. And even in this game where he played very well, he wasn't even an MVP. And quite frankly, you could argue he might not have even been the best quarterback on the field in this game. And so to me, this isn't just all of a sudden, let's send him to Canton because he played in a Super Bowl. Do you know how many different quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl that we're not considering to be Hall of Fame quarterbacks? I mean, like Jeff Hostel or Nick Foles. Like you can go on down the line of guys like Mark Rippon, Jim McMahon, one I know within Chicago Bears uniform. These are just quarterbacks that won a Super Bowl and had very successful careers. Some of these guys that I just listed had more successful careers than what Matt Stafford has already accomplished, and we're not sending them to the Hall of Fame. Like I agree with Richard Sherman. The bar's lower. I hear what you're coming from with, with, the, with the whole bar and the Pro Bowls and all of that stuff, but the way that they judge the Pro Bowls, the way that they grade that, I, I don't know that I'm on that page that's fair. In, terms, in terms of that being the metric that I'm going to lean into. I think that success in the postseason determines a big portion of your legacy, and because Matt Stafford didn't have that on his resume before this year, I think it was fair to be critical. But what you can't criticize is his physical toughness because of the things that this guy has played through. He's shown that in Detroit. He showed that in the Super Bowl on Sunday evening. But then also the ability to have those game-winning drives in the divisional round against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, having that win, 
throwing that ball to Cooper Cup under that circumstance, which led to a t- uh, led to the go ahead field goal, the, the 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 NFC Championship game where he orchestrated that drive at the end of it. I, I mean, the, the Super Bowl, fifteen plays, seventy nine yards. I, I mean, those are the moments that we're going to latch onto and say. Okay, Matt Stafford proved that he could do it at the highest level. He was at his best when his best was required. The competitive greatness aspect of it, that box gets checked. But then he'll also have the the productivity that we're looking for with guys in that Hall of Fame conversation. Right now, Matt Stafford is 12th all-time in passing yards at 50,000 yards. Uh, Phillip Rivers is right around, I think he's 6th with 63,000 and change. I think if Matt Stafford puts together four or five more good seasons, which is not outside of the realm of possibility because he's only 33 years old, if he can do that, add a Pro Bowl or two, you're absolutely talking about a Hall of Fame resume. If Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Famer, then Matt Stafford is a Hall of Famer too. Today? Today. You would send him to the Hall of Fame? No, not today. I said it's going to take three or four more quality seasons for Matt Stafford. You know, another Pro Bowl or two, maybe an All-Pro then we'll talk about Matt Stafford being a Hall of Famer. I'm not go. putting him in Canton right now, but I do think he's well on his way. Fair. And I speaking agree. and speaking of which, we're going to have somebody on the show next that's going to have a whole lot to say about Matt Stafford, and we want to make sure we give him plenty of runway to get to it. But first, we have this from Wendy's. This is your Wendy's wake up call. Get a better breakfast at Wendy's when you buy any breakfast sandwich. And get any size drink for free. Free fresh brewed coffee, free. Diet Coke, free. Vanilla Frosty Chino, my personal favorite, yes, also free. Get to your nearest Wendy's drive-thru during the breakfast hours and buy your Wendy's breakfast sandwich and get any size drink in a Wendy's cup for free. Limited time only at participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Offer cannot be combined with any other mobile offer. Not valid for third-party delivery orders. You're listening to Shea Cornette and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. Had to wait for the beat drop on that one. Shea Cornette, Shea Cornette and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We want you to hit us up on social media, on the Twitter, at ChrisCanny99 and at Shea Pepler. And Shea, without further ado, we have to bring on ESPN NFL analyst and co-host of NFL Live, Dan Orlovsky, and get him to react to what he saw in Super Bowl 56, and specifically with his guy, Matt Stafford. I know he loves to cape for him, but I got to ask you, Dan, Richard Sherman had some pointed comments about Matt Stafford saying that he doesn't belong in the conversation of being in the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to ask you, does the Super Bowl ring solidify his candidacy of being a Hall of Famer once his career is said and done? It solidifies it, yes, because everybody talks about the quarterback position and constantly uses the does he have a Super Bowl as almost like the measuring stick. What do we talk about in relation to Aaron Rodgers? Blows our mind that he's only won one Super Bowl. Tom Brady's the GOAT because he's, because he's won seven. Eli Manning's in because he's won two. And I've, I've talked about this, Chris. So Stafford, listen, you can't get in just because it's Super Bowl. You got to get in because your statistical performance is up there with some of the all-time greats. He sits right now 12th in career touchdowns and career yards. The every person ahead of them is a, is going to be or is in the Hall of Fame. The only three people that are not are Aaron Rodgers, he's in the Hall of Fame, Eli Manning, he's in the Hall of Fame, and Matt Ryan. 
and that will be left to determine if Matt gets one of those Super Bowls or not. Um, so number one, everybody else ahead of him is in the Hall of Fame. He's probably going to end up in the top seven in touchdowns and yards. He's got the Super Bowl ring. He finally has a season outside of Detroit, and he wins the Super Bowl. Like, I mean, I have – I tweeted this out to Darius Slay because Slay knows, and I, I, I've been with Slay or I've known Slay for a minute. Dude, he's got five seasons where he's top five in touchdowns and yards that season and doesn't make all pro or doesn't make the Pro Bowl. Like, he's top five in both passing categories. So, I think Sherm, it's tough for Sherm to use that as the benchmark because I have an example of this year being second in the NFL in touchdowns and third in the NFL in yards and doesn't make all pro or pro, the Pro Bowl. But he's second in touchdowns, third in yards, and wins the Super Bowl. But he doesn't make the Pro Bowl all pro. So, I think he's in. All right, so that's Dan Orlowski's take on this. And if I had a nickel for how many times I heard you say Matthew Stafford, Dan, I feel like I would be a very rich woman over the last two weeks. But nonetheless, let's go to the other side of this in the losing team, unfortunately, and that would be the Cincinnati Bengals. We all want to talk about how they need to fix that offensive line. I think that's obvious to anyone that watched the game or watched the entire playoff run for the Cincinnati Bengals team. But in terms of Joe Burrow, where can he get better? I think he can play faster at moments. Um, I think he can un- – so I think he's got this really good ability of never panicking with the football and having poise with it. That often leads to him taking some sacks that you sit there and go, could you have thrown the ball away? Mm-hmm. And could you have just gotten rid of the ball? Or could you have taken that sick sack without taking such physical punishment in that sack? You know, Jeff Saturday has talked about how Peyton Manning you know, he would never allow his body to get hit like that, mainly because he would tell the organization, fix this or I'm gone. But also, you know, Peyton and then Eli became, you know, almost humorously famous for, okay, the sack is coming, I'm just going to the ground. And realizing, you know, proving the toughness in that moment um, isn't worth the, the add-up of hit. So I think that's one of those things when I say play a little faster, it's, you know, is that sack, I'm going to get sacked anyway, do I have to take that physical punishment? I think that's probably the biggest area. Now, Joe's got a above-average arm strength-wise. Could his arms constantly get a little bit better strong strength-wise? Yeah, but I think the marriage of understanding what hits are, I don't want to say worth it, but what hits are necessary and what aren't are probably a big growth process for him. Talking with ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky on ESPN Radio. And Dan, reports over the weekend surfaced about the Colts potentially parting ways with Carson Wentz. They're going to try to trade him, and if they can't find a partner, that they would cut him. Your thoughts on why it hasn't worked out in Indy with Carson Wentz? Well, I think it um, – okay, so hasn't worked out, I think, is probably that, – that's just not the way that I would phrase it. Um, hmm. It ended poorly this season. You know, the last two games of the year were probably his worst two games of the year. And you sit there and go, guy threw 27 touchdowns, over 3,500 yards, and seven picks. That's good. In the NFL, he's a good player. Uh, The Colts are a team that they believe have the chance to be a great football team. And I would probably lend on or lean into believing them. I'll start by saying this, Chris. 
I don't care who plays quarterback. They got to get better wide receiver. Better at wide receiver. Um, it's not only the receivers, and it's not only on the quarterbacks. They, it takes two to tango. Their receivers were 27th in the NFL in catches. They had 177 as a wide receiver group. They were 27th in the NFL when it comes to receiving yards. Other wide receivers, 2100. Their second wide receiver, Zach Pascal, was 70th in the NFL in catches. 7-0. It's just not good enough. I don't care who the quarterback is. So I think it's going to be difficult for them to sit there and go, outside of Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, who is the no-brainer upgrade for us? The no-brainer, I don't think that guy exists. So I, I don't know, unless they find a guy in the draft that they fall in love with, what it costed him to acquire him and then what it would cost to acquire somebody else. I just don't see it happening. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, Dan, uh, let's go to the Packers situation here because at this point it feels like and it sounds like they're going to try and go all in on Aaron Rodgers. Is that the only option they have at this point? I mean, isn't this the obvious thing that the Packers should be doing? I think it's the obvious thing. It's not their only option. They obviously drafted Jordan Love two drafts ago, so he would be going into his third year, and you know they could choose to turn it over to him. Um, I think that they understand that Jordan probably isn't there. And then that they understand that Aaron's still playing football as good as anybody at that position in the league. And they are it's they're not all that different than they were last year offseason. They're two impactful front seven players away from again being a very, very, very good football team. And they have to build their team this offseason um, with January and February in mind, like the Rams did. I remember when they, the Rams acquired OBJ and Vaughn. I remember being on NFL Live and saying, this is like making a, a baseball team getting a closer. Like, you aren't, you aren't getting these cats for games in October. Can you close games when they matter the most? And that's what Vaughn Miller did for the Rams. And I think the Packers have to believe and view their offseason like that. We are getting guys that – you unequivocally believe that we'll be different makers in January and February because you're not going to make those moves this offseason to be the one seed again. You are move, making those off moves this offseason. they got to get a dynamic wide receiver outside of Devontae and tag him, a playmaking tight end. Their offensive line's got to get healthy, and they got to get two big-time playmakers in their front seven. Then I believe they are – uh, set up to win it. Sounds like an awfully long wish list for the Green Bay Packers <laughs> and not a whole lot of salary cap space to get it done. Dan, we appreciate a happen, few moments. Chris. Make it happen. <laughs> we we'll appreciate a few moments, man. Thanks for tapping in today. Later, bud. Later, Chris. All right, hey, that's ESPN NFL analyst Dan Orlovsky. And Shay, he didn't mention any bones about it. Matt Stafford is a Hall of Famer. That's how he sees it. You knew he he was going to say that. And you think Richard Sherman, he thinks Richard Sherman is all the way wrong with this one. So we need the audience to be the tiebreaker. Tap in, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. Is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? We want to hear from you guys. But coming up next, what do the Packers need to do to go all in on Aaron Rodgers? And how does his future in Green Bay impact Devontae Adams? We'll have the answer for you. Shea Cornette, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. On April 2nd, 1984, John Thompson's Georgetown Hoyas 
led by Patrick Ewing, beat Houston in the NCAA championship game, making Thompson the first black coach to win an NCAA basketball title. Thompson became a coaching icon during his 27 years at Georgetown. When he passed away in 2020, several coaches honored him by wearing his signature white towel. ESPN Radio celebrates Black History Always. Shea Cornett and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Talking Matt Stafford and whether or not he's a Hall of Famer, tap in on the Canny call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Shay, let's go out to Atlantic City and check in with Lewis. Lewis, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Hey, how you doing? Uh, first of all, I love the show. Um, second of all, as an Eagles fan, I love what you did to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> I just, <laughs> just want to say that I believe Matt Stafford is 100% a Hall of Famer. Uh, within the next four to five years, he's going to uh, eclipse the 60,000 pass yards and be in the top ten. And if you're putting Phillip Rivers in the Hall of Fame, uh, Stafford has one thing over Rivers, and that's a Super Bowl win. And him and Cup put the team on their backs at the final drive, and they got it done. Yeah, I'm with you, Lewis. I, I absolutely agree with you. You're talking about him being able to compile some stats. Let's just say he has 4,000-yard passing seasons each of the next three years. You're talking about him being at 62,000 yards passing, which puts him right under Phillip Rivers, who's at 63,000 yards, but he has the ring. He'll probably have a Pro Bowl or two to go along with it if he has that level of productivity and the Rams keep this core of players intact. So I'm with you. I think he'll have the resume. He'll have the playoff wins. He'll have success in the Super Bowl to be able to 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 make the claim that he belongs in Canton. Yeah, and th- th- this to me just feels like the long road. Like Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, both these guys eventually will be in Canton. I just don't know why we need to send him there today. Like let him see if he can win another Super Bowl or at least be competitive in the postseason. I mean, the guy's 4-3 and three in the postseason. <laughs> like we act like he's been running through the postseason for years. It's the first time he's done it. Like let's take a breath. Fair point, and I think you got somebody that agrees with you on the hotline. Let's go out to South Carolina and bring on Ben. Ben, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, guys. Uh, a, Philip Rivers is not going into the Hall of Fame. Ooh. And, River, er, and Matt Stafford, as it is today, right, life is so short. Anything can happen. You know, heaven forbid. I, I, I do like Stafford. But um, I, I, me being a Ravens fan, I would say Joe Flacco. Why, why aren't we talking about Joe Flacco, who had the best postseason record and, and stats, you know, other than Joe Montana? But, uh, again, Stafford – he he's going to have to really step it up because I, I think Deion Sanders says it best is, you know, the Hall of Fame is becoming diluted. It's geared towards quarterbacks because they can put up the stats. But, again, we need players who change the game. And I certainly do not have Matt Stafford. Great, nice guy. I, I do not put him in that class. Great and nice guy. Thank you for that at the end of it. Yeah, he does seem like great and a nice guy. Um, But this is the thing with this argument for me, Canty, is like Hmm. we don't have to make this decision today. Like just because half of us feel like he's not ready to go to the Hall of Fame right this very minute doesn't mean he's never going to go. Like he can write his own story, and now he's in a position to do so. He's set up with the Rams organization at this point, at least for another year, to write his own story. Like he's not stuck in Detroit anymore where this is going to be an argument year in, year out. Are they ever going to get better? Like. He could create his own destiny at this point. 
No doubt about it. And I think he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory now that he's got the Super Bowl ring to go along with all of those game-winning drives that he was able to put together. Now, the last caller made a comment about Phillip Rivers not getting into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, what did you feel about that? I will say this, Phillip Rivers, six all-time in passing yards, six all-time in passing touchdowns. He might not be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he damn sure is a Hall of Famer. And you consider the organization that he did that with, the L.A. Chargers, which has been notorious for being a dysfunctional team, a cheap team, Phillip Rivers was the standard out there for a really long time, for the better part of a decade. So he absolutely belongs in the Hall of Fame with his two draft classmates in Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. I think all three of those guys are going to get Hall calls at some point. When Let's he go said out that, to- Canty, I was like, oh, Canty's blood's about to start boiling. Yeah, he got me with that one. He got me with that. Listen, I don't, I don't, <laughs> listen I, I have the utmost respect for Phillip Rivers. Hated playing against him, but respect him. Played against him in college, played against him in the pros. The guy is a top competitor. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. But let's go out to Mike in Phoenix. Mike, you're on ESPN Radio. He's got to be a Hall of Famer. You've got a guy who, you don't even have to talk about three, four seasons. In two seasons, he can be in top ten in touchdowns, receiving, or touchdowns, passing yards, and uh, completion percent, or completion. That if you got top ten in all three of those categories, you have to be in the top and the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm with you. Mike, I agree with you completely, and I get it. We're in a different era of football. This is not the 80s. This is not the 70s. People are throwing the ball all over the yard, and the rules are slanted toward offenses being able to make it happen because that's what the NFL deems as in the best interest of their bottom line. It's an entertainment product at the end of it. But that still doesn't mean that we discount what these guys are doing, the productive numbers that they're putting up. And Matt Stafford, say what you want, he was the ingredient that was missing with the L.A. Rams being a championship team. They had the rest of the core in place, and they swapped out Jared Goff, who was a former number one overall pick for Matt Stafford and what he was over a decade in in the Detroit Lions. And I'm more willing to assign that futility that we saw from Stafford in that Lions group for the better part of the 2000s. I'll assign that to the organization being dysfunctional more so than I'll put that on Matt Stafford based on what I've seen this year. In his first year with the Rams, this guy took them to the Super Bowl and won the damn game. You can't say Matt Stafford ain't a winner. He was just with an organization that was awful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's obvious now. Like, everyone's looking at Detroit sideways. I'm not here for the Detroit slander, but let's be honest. Like, <laughs> I mean, it took one season with a new coaching staff and and everything new around him in a new city, and I know he had a home there, but one season, and he has a, a Super Bowl ring that, I mean, I didn't play in the NFL, but can't you tell me all the time, is very hard to get to and to ultimately win. Like, I think we can now establish that it wasn't him. It was the situation that he was in quite easily. Absolutely, and let's keep this in mind, too, Shay. The all-time leading receiver in terms of single season was Calvin Johnson. Who was his quarterback when he had that season? Matthew Stafford. Okay. The the second guy on that list that won the Triple Crown receiving this year, Cooper Cup, Super Bowl MVP, who's his quarterback? Yeah, Matthew Stafford. I'm just saying, Matthew Stafford seems to find a way to be able to get the ball to the playmakers on his team. I'm just putting that out there. Coming up next, what does the Rams championship mean for the NFL in terms of roster building? Can somebody copycat what they did this past season? ESPN Radio back after this. 